This is the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast with Charlie Badwini. It was a it was reversed to Barrios. Uh, quarterback has an option based on the look that uh, that he has to to sneak the ball um, in that situation. It was we wanted the ball handed off to Barrios, but we did a very poor job as a coaching staff communicating that in the huddle. Um, and Zach executed the playbook as it's designed. And um, unfortunately, if you look at the copy or the uh, TV copy again, Braxton probably has a first down and the game's over. But that's uh, poor job on our part for the uh, for lack of communication. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Badwini, and this is your number one stop for all things Jets content and news. If you've stuck around uh, for this whole year, it's officially been a year since I started the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast, and if you're a regular listener, I appreciate you, and you're probably a friend or family of mine, so <laughs> thanks for that. Or maybe you're just a big Jets fan, and if you are a big Jets fan, you know exactly what went down on Sunday. The Jets almost, almost, two yards away from beating the reigning Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. Final score, 28-24. Buccaneers pulled out the win the last minute, literally, and the Jets were sent home with the unfortunate L. So the big talking point coming out of Sunday's game is that final play call for the the Jets offense when they were when they were up 24-20 with about I want to say a little bit more than 2 minutes to go fourth and 2 Zach Wilson quarterback sneaks it on the Buccaneer like 4-yard line doesn't get enough yards and the Jets turn it over on downs. What you heard at the beginning of the episode was a breakdown from Robert Sala of what went down on that play, what happened, what went wrong and you know uh, why the sneak was called in the first place, or, or I shouldn't say called, I should say executed. First things first, before we even get to the uh, the play call, I want to talk about the decision to go for it on fourth down, up by four points within the Tampa Bay 10-yard line. Coming out of the game on Sunday, I was not totally happy with the decision to go for it. I thought maybe they could have taken the points, kicked the field goal, made it a touchdown game, and make a... Uh, I mean, obviously, regardless, uh, the Buccaneers and Brady were able to get get, to, get down the field and score that game game tying slash winning touchdown to uh, put the game away. Like even if the Jets had gotten or, or had kicked the field goal and made it, but the point is, thinking back on it, marinating on it for a few days, I do like the, like the decision to go for it on fourth down. And I mean, you're a four and eleven team. You're not playing for anything for the rest of the season. You have a chance here to put it away against the reigning Super Bowl champions. You might as well, you know, uh, put your boot on the neck there. I, sh- I-, I should say. Um, now that being said, the play call, the play that was executed, was not correct, and that is on nobody, nobody else's shoulders except for the coaching staff. Zach Wilson got up to the line with this play in his helmet. He saw what the defense was giving him, which if you look up the, uh, n- not the TV copy, but if you if you go online and look up those like uh, those overhead shots that they have with the NFL Game Pass, the Bucks defense completely fooled Zach Wilson. And that's not, it is, on, it is on him, but what do you expect out of your rookie quarterback who's starting his 12th game of his career? He saw that the gap was open because it was, it was what the Bucks wanted to show him. He took the bait. He checked in, or he didn't even have to check into it. That's just the base play. He snuck it. Wasn't enough yardage. 
Bra the ball was supposed to go to Braxton Barris on an end around, and yes, he was going to be wide open. He probably would have scored a touchdown to ice the game, but this I don't put this on Zach Wilson in the slightest. I put this on the coaching staff. I put this on Michael Fleur, Coach Sala. I don't understand how you, you call a timeout and not communicate to your rookie quarterback, hey, we're calling this play, but we don't want this particular option. We don't want the sneak. Make sure it's the end around. I just, it just doesn't really, really make sense to me how that happens, and it's really embarrassing, and it's actually really gut-wrenching because I would have loved, absolutely loved to send Tom Brady home from his last trip ever against the Jets at MetLife Stadium with a loss. But that's not how it played out, and here we are on Tuesday, January 4th, marinating over another Jets loss as they dropped to 4-12 and on the season. Now I want to talk about the character assassination of Zach Wilson following this game on the SNY postgame, the, the Jets' own postgame show on SNY. You had guys like Bart Scott and Willie Colon, two former Jets who I have a massive amount of respect for. Both were, were great players in their day but we're just relentlessly going after Zach Wilson in the postgame, calling him selfish, saying he he called his own number, he, he wanted to be the one to, to get, get the first down and win the game, he didn't he didn't want Braxton Berrios to get the credit, which is just total horseshit, man. Where does this even come from? Both of them said they don't speak to Zach Wilson, they don't know him personally, they don't know him all this stuff. So how are you going to come at him on the Jets postgame show and rip into him and, and his and his character like this. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why some people in the media have an axe to grind with Zach Wilson. The, the, the whole narrative before the draft, how he was a three-car garage kid and was handed him handed everything his entire life, was such a terrible narrative and such such terrible like clickbait like stuff like that is so bad. And I don't understand how how these guys are able to get away with this from the Jets on their their own post-game show. No one was able to talk to these guys and told them to maybe tone it back or maybe, I don't even know. I, I understand, we don't want to get too biased because I know it's the Jets show and we want, you know, truthful coverage. But just, I don't understand how you, you could get that takeaway from the kid executing what the playbook called on, on, on what the play call was given him. I'm sure the whatever the, the full name of the play is, he was just executing the play and he executed it to perfection. There was there was an option that he didn't check to because the coaching staff didn't tell him that, and because he's it was his twelfth game and he didn't understand this what what to do in this situation. But it's not a hundred percent on him. I I I barely even put twenty percent of the blame on him. He was just just executing what the play he was given, and it's on the coaching staff. And I, I don't understand how people could rip into him personally like this. It doesn't make any sense at all. And. I, in fact, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I just had to mention it because it made me so mad. I didn't watch any of the post-game live. I was in the car on the way home from the stadium. But if I had seen this live, I don't know what I, what I would have done to my TV. There might have been a, a big, big fat hole in it. Okay, so moving away from the, from the negatives, all right? Let's go over to the positives. Somehow, this Jets team who gave up a record like 45-plus points in like three straight games, like 400-plus yards and however many straight games, somehow went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the reigning Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I know they didn't have, they, they weren't full strength on offense, they weren't probably weren't full strength on defense, I wasn't paying too much attention to their injury report before the game, mostly the Jets, but still, they led the entire game except for the last 15 seconds or so against the reigning Super Bowl champions. I don't understand how they did this. The The defense didn't look like complete Swiss cheese, at least for the first three and a half quarters. Zach Wilson played 
I think maybe the best ball of his rookie rookie campaign so far. He was he looked so comfortable in the pocket back there throughout the game. He was throwing darts, he was making plays, and he was doing this with without his top three receivers in Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and Jameson Crowder. He was doing it without his starting left his starting left tackle in George Fant, his starting center in uh in Connor McGovern, Dan Feeney was playing. Yeah, Chuma Adogo was playing left tackle for us, our third string left tackle, and he was still somehow playing like that. Uh, his, his top two running backs, Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman, both out with injury for this game, and his top three tight ends in Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, and I, I'm pretty sure uh, Dan Brown got hurt at some point because you had Kenny Yaboa out there catching passes, the undrafted free agent, and Zach played one of the best games of his rookie career. And you, you see him, he's finally starting to elevate the play of those around him, even though the play of those around him is subpar at best. We, we didn't talk last week, I was feeling a little sick, but post that Jaguars game, Zach Wilson's numbers weren't looking too crazy. He had like 100 yards passing, but it was really just the, the, the game as a whole where he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, making the right throws, making the right reads, not turning the ball over, which it's his fourth straight game without an interception, which is crazy impressive. And it's just starting to look like this kid's really pulling it all together as we, we uh, wrap up his rookie campaign. I'd like to take you guys back with me about four years ago, 2018, December specifically, uh, the last four games of Sam Darnold's rookie career, where he was just lighting the league on fire. I believe he led the league in passer rating in, the, in those last four games where he went toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson and the playoff-bound Houston Texans. He went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, who weren't in playoff, playoff contention that year because Rodgers had gotten hurt, but he was back at the end of the season. And uh, I think they lost to the Patriots, and they beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Now that was the best four-game stretch of Sam Darnold's Jets career, to put it uh, to put it frankly. But what that performance did for the Jets going into the off-season was just elevate the hype and feeling around the franchise as a whole. I don't think we would have gotten Le'Veon Bell and free agency that off-season if not for Sam Darnold's four-game performance at the end of the season. I don't think we would have gotten C.J. Mosley because what what that shows is is there's a level of optimism and and, and uh, showing an up trajectory after a rough season like the Jets just had. Now, the Jets finished 4-12 and that year. We're 4-12 and right now. We still got, still got one more game to go next week against Buffalo. But Zach's, Zach is really starting to pull, pull together all that he's learned throughout his rookie year. And if he can keep this going, it's, it's going to be huge for this Jets franchise as a whole. If, if he goes to Buffalo next week, puts on another great performance against a really good Buffalo team that is playoff bound, it'll show coaches, free agents, executives around the league, that the Jets are on the up and up. Now, I know this is a cautionary tale because, as we know, Sam Darnold didn't exactly build off of that four-game stretch at the end of his rookie career, but th- that's besides the point. What I'm saying is, regardless of, of how, how Zach Wilson progresses from here, there is a level of optimism and hope surrounding this Jets franchise as we enter the 2022 offseason. And that is so important for a franchise like the Jets right now that is so down on its luck, that is so in need of hope and optimism, and I, I couldn't ask for anything more for my rookie quarterback as we wrap up this 2021 season. All right, before we cap this thing off, just want to emphasize one last thing. Uh, we still got one game left, I get that, but real quick, draft positioning. So this game, Jets didn't win, so they stay the same. Our draft pick is still fourth overall, and that Seattle pick hasn't changed too much. I believe it's at seven right now, and next week all the all those picks will be finalized, so we'll finally figure out where the Jets will be picking in, in the top ten for the 2022 NFL draft. 
And I just want to bring up real quick the Cincinnati Bengals, okay? So the Bengals, they had a good receiver in Tyler Boyd like two years ago, right? They had A.J. Green on the other side. A.J. Green was getting older, but Boyd was still a great number two. In the, in the 2020 draft, when they drafted Burrow, in the, with their second-round pick, the pick right after they picked Burrow, they took the Clemson wide receiver T. Higgins in the second round, top of the second round. That was a great pick for them. T. Higgins is a good receiver. You see, you, you've been seeing him make plays all season long. And let's go to the 2021 draft. With the fifth overall pick, they took LSU receiver Jamar Chase. And a lot of people questioned that pick at the time, that they needed to protect Burrow, invest in the offensive line, but instead the Bengals decided to get him another weapon. Look at what that did for Joe Burrow and the Bengals this year. They, they won the division. Burrow is, I think at this point, a lock for comeback player of the year, and he's having an absolutely fantastic season. The Jets need to focus this offseason on getting, wider, uh, getting Zach Wilson a wide receiver one. Elijah Moore is a great player. Corey Davis is a decent player. They need an X. They need a Jamar Chase. They need a, they need a Stephon Diggs, a DeAndre Hopkins. They need a Devontae Adams. They need somebody who can just be the go-to guy in this offense, and I think it will take Zach Wilson and this Jets team to another level. Maybe competing for the division next year, maybe competing in the playoffs next year, but it's this is this is just something that needs to happen for the, in order for the Jets to take that next step and be perennial contenders. I don't know if that guy like Jamar Chase is in the draft this year, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, all really great players. I don't know if they're the caliber of Jamar Chase, but if, if, if there isn't a, a proven guy there in free agency or maybe even on the trade market, the Jets need to invest in a wide receiver in the draft with, with one of their two first-round picks in 2022. And that's the end of the discussion. They need to do whatever they can to surround Zach Wilson with as much talent as possible so he can reach his full potential. All right? They need, to, they need to get some more tight ends in here. They need to patch up the offensive line. But other than that, I'm really excited with how this Jets team uh, fought at the end of this season. I know the, the, the beginning was a bit of a roller coaster. The, the middle was a roller coaster. But this ending, the, the, these last couple games have been a lot of fun to watch. They've been really, really competitive. And I hope that uh, whatever Robert, Robert Sala is building here in Florham Park continues to grow and flourish as the years go on. So... Like I said before, this is about the one-year anniversary of the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you guys next week when the Jets wrap up their season against the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. We'll talk then. Go Jets! You've been listening to the Breath of Fresh Jets with Charlie Badwinkle.